Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's December 8th, 1854. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day in 1854 that Pope Pius IX stood before 170 bishops and thousands of pilgrims from all over the world in St. Peter's Basilica. And with his voice breaking and tears filling his eyes, he paused and looked up to the heavens and then infallibly defined the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And what that means basically was that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was declared to be sinless not only through her life, but also at the very instant of her conception, which becomes significant in ways that we'll explain later. But as he finished speaking, the canons of the castle of St. Angelo boomed and the bells of the basilicas and churches all around Rome began ringing in unison to let people know that, yep, this was a pretty big deal. It was a big deal and it had been debated since medieval times. Although I must admit with my very casual interest in Christian theology that this was news to me today. (laughs) that The Immaculate Conception, which is a phrase I've heard my whole life, doesn't relate to Mary's pregnancy but to her birth. I thought the Immaculate Conception was to clarify, basically, God hadn't had penetrative sex with Mary to make Jesus. Which, by the way, if that had happened these days, would seem like a real abuse of status and power, wouldn't it? What this actually (laughs) is, is to clarify that Mary herself had been conceived by her mother, Anna, I didn't even know her name until today either, free of original sin. Uh, Ollie, I'm going to give you a pass because you're Jewish. Something popes are very loath to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things. I mean, to be honest, I think unless you're interested in quizzing or you're a very religious Catholic, it is probably one of the most widespread misconceptions, excuse the pun, eh, sorry, couldn't think of another word, (laughs) about Mary. Because, of course, the story of Mary conceiving Jesus with a bit of divine intervention is obviously such a huge part of the New Testament and a huge part of the whole Jesus story. Ollie, you mentioned not knowing that Mary's mother had a name and she doesn't in the Bible. And a lot of this comes from Apocrypha, which is basically Bible adjacent fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) These things that could have been in the Bible, they were were all contenders for inclusion. And through the years, various councils of bishops, etc. kind of worked out what was going to be in the Bible and what wasn't. So there is a particular one called the Gospel of St. James, supposedly written by Jesus's brother, of whom more later, James, although probably written hundreds of years afterwards. And that is the, you know, gospel, as it were, that tells us all about Mary's parents, Anna and Joachim, who supposedly conceived by a chaste embrace at the Golden Gate of Jerusalem. But that's not in the Bible, even though there is space in the Bible for four accounts of the same story. Well, I think that what they were really trying to resolve and why it took so many, well, hundreds of years in the end, is that the dogma of the Immaculate Conception is part of the Catholic Church's long-standing efforts to resolve some really complicated aspects of biblical scripture, including, you know, Christ is both God and man in conjunction with the fact that he was born to a human woman, and then the tensions between the sinfulness inherent in all humans since Adam and Eve, and then the importance of having no sinful act being involved 
in the conception of the the woman who bore Christ. So they're trying to sort of wrap all of that up. And I think that's why it took them such a long time, particularly because, well, as we've been discussing, you know, there, there's not a lot of mention of the parentage of Mary, I suppose, because at the point where the Bible was being written, they kind of introduced her as the significant character to talk about Jesus as the real sort of lead, as it were. Um, and then, you know, you didn't really need to go back much further than that until they ran into these problems. Yes. So the debate that arose in the 1100s, the Franciscans were for the concept that Mary had basically been, God had kind of chosen to cleanse her alone of original sin so that Jesus could not be tainted with it. And the Dominicans were against this and their lead voice was St. Thomas Aquinas. And he basically said, look, the whole point is Jesus died to redeem all humanity. If you start saying, except so-and-so, even if it is Mary, mother of Jesus, then you're undermining the, the whole principle of the thing. The other part of it is that St. Augustine of Hippo, who originally formulated this idea of original sin he believed that it was transmitted through semen so then there arose this whole idea of maybe mary's parents conceived her magically without having sex because then no semen would be involved and then she couldn't physically have been tainted by this original sin obviously all of these debates were kind of undermined by the fact that nobody really knew a huge amount about the biology involved in conception it's just so funny to me to think of all these generations of like apostles and scholars and monks and popes sitting around and discussing whether or not sin passes through semen. <laughs> yeah. Um, like with a straight face and not acknowledging that they must have all known on some level that they were making it up as they went along. It's sad as well, isn't it? To think of the literally millions of devout religious people trying to do the right thing, searching for the answers from the church about how they should live their lives who then have this restriction put on them about how they think about sex and conception like the thing we all have in common and genuinely believing that sexual desire is so unpure that it's n it's not even a pure way to conceive the mother <laughs> of Jesus. Like, an ejaculation is so outrageously sinful <laughs> that it can't even be considered for Jesus's grandmother to have engaged with. I mean, what did that do to people's brains? I suppose Catholicism is not shy about, you know, mentioning sin and accepting sin as a as a sort of inherent part of the human condition. Inherent, so I suppose inherent magnet you know, to keep you coming back week after week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but you know, therefore, there are things that we do, all do every day that are that are sinful, including certain kinds of sexual intercourse every day. <laughs> yeah, really. Jeez, you're a married man. <laughs> Not necessarily myself personally, but you know, people out there are sinning daily, I, I gather. Um, but that whole notion of sin being attached to someone so close to Jesus, I think that's what they were trying to deal with. Yeah, and this all arose kind of in conjunction with this veneration of Mary, which started catching on in the early church and just got more and more intense. So by the fourth century, scholars were already talking about whether Mary was free of personal sin. And that was, that was far less controversial. That was quite quickly accepted, although it wasn't officially affirmed until the 1500s. They they started talking about something else as well, which was the doctrine of Mary's perpetual virginity. This is something else that's mentioned in the Gospel of James. If it really was written by James, son of Mary, then it is a very, very strange relationship they have indeed, because <laughs> he spends quite a lot of it talking about, you know, his grandmother's hymen and his mother's virginity, etc. It's it's all very intense and Oedipal if it was by him, but it almost certainly wasn't. I intend to devote at least a chapter of my memoirs to my grandmother's hymen. <laughs> Well, so it was James who introduced this idea that Mary stayed a virgin for life, which, anyway, 
female sexuality. Uh, in the Bible, there are mentions of Jesus's brothers. And so what happened was that scholars had to kind of get busy working out how that could all fit in. So they had to retcon this scriptural reference right. to Jesus' yeah. brothers. So it's kind of like a, there were two main theories. One was that they were half-brothers. They were the sons of Joseph from a previous marriage. And then there's just some people who were just like, no, cousins. They're definitely cousins. He probably just called them his brothers, <laughs> even though that's by far the least logical explanation as to why like a young, fertile woman would have had more than one child. I mean, I think even Catholics have lost track of how recent this was. Yeah. yeah. And because I, I suppose it had been part of what they'd been discussing for centuries prior to this. But it's so interesting, isn't it? Because you hear, don't you, at this time of year with all the kind of Christmas lights going up and people buying their Christmas dinner ingredients and stuff, you hear people saying, oh, do you realise how many of these Christmas traditions are so recent? Do you realise Charles Dickens invented a lot of these Christmas traditions in 1843? And this was after that. This was after a yeah. Christmas carol was invented. Something fundamental to the birth of Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, and although, you know, 90% approval might be a pretty good rating for most things, when you're talking about, like, these are the bishops of the Catholic Church, and one in ten of them didn't think that Pius should be declaring Immaculate Conception as part of Catholic dogma. It's difficult to know why. Maybe they didn't think it was an appropriate use of that power, or maybe they thought that the dogma itself, you know, wasn't necessarily particularly well supported by the scripture. Well, I guess they knew as well that it was going to create a further schism between Catholicism and other churches too. I mean, here in Britain, obviously, between Anglicans and Catholics, the argument is essentially one side says Mary was full of grace and the other side says, no, she wasn't. She was just Jesus's mum. I mean... Let's split the difference, guys. You're both kind of saying Mary was good. And also the fact that you're dealing on one hand with this this massive cult of what they was called like Marian devotion, you know, this newfound yeah. interest in Mary as a person, but in a culture which was extremely hostile towards women and femininity in general. And women were seen as, you know, the, the daughters of Eve, the, the bringers of sin into the world, etc. So it was behind all these debates, you can see this constant attempt to reconcile the idea that this woman produced Jesus, this woman is the mother of God, we almost worship her but at the same time how do we manage to explain away the fact that she was actually a female human? Yeah and that interest in Mary just seemed to encapsulate the sort of long preoccupation with the Madonna whore complex sort of relatively literally in the case of the mother Mary that really wasn't resolved until Madonna released her sex book (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow. So you've got some people who've been bringing tape measures or weighing scales to analyse their portion and then sharing their analysis. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.